and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Dazed and Confused. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-host, co-pilot, uh, Julio Oliveira. We once again are joined by a guest on our show today. Uh, we'll get to the introductions here in just a moment. Uh, but Julio, is this, and like we've said, we've been in just turbo mode Uh <laughs> since you'll be going on summer vacation before too long. Is this the first no last action heroes, the first post friends travaganza, correct? That's correct. Yeah. This is the first okay. episode of August. Okay. Uh, so we are here today to welcome back Richard Linklater to the podcast and hoping that this time around, it goes a little bit better. <laughs> I don't know, man. It was a fresh movie last time, just like this one. And, uh, it, it didn't go well. I think that the critics and the contrarians don't see eye to eye. It's almost like like that's a conceit of the show. Yeah, both in the 90s. This one just a little less than uh, Boyhood, the previous Linklater induction. Now we we fawned over the Beyond trilogy in the past, so he at least has that going for him. <laughs> uh, but at 92% is 1993's Dazed and Confused that we are covering here today. Julio, you had seen this before, right? Yes, uh, it's been a few years, so I wouldn't say I was like watching it for the first time, but it was, um, I kept trying to remember, like, what's the story? And then at some point I realized, oh, there's no story. Yeah. <laughs> this movie just is. It, it exists to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, the reason we're covering this is by request of our guest today. Uh, joining us for the first time since the big episode many, many moons ago. Uh, for our longtime listeners, remember the arc we did on female filmmakers. Um, my sister Lillian has returned to the fray. Lillian, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. It's been years. I know. I'm uh, not going to lie. I've been asking my brother if I can be on an episode <laughs> for a while now. But... This is the first I've heard of this. Well, I knew I needed to have a good pitch, so uh, so yeah, I I'm excited to be joining y'all again. And this is um, it's not going to be necessarily an arc, but we are doing three episodes to uh, one full episode, and then two mini bonus episodes that we'll be doing to cover kind of what Lillian's pitch was. Being that she's a teacher, uh, she came up with the idea for was it summer break movies. Yeah, so I am currently on my summer break, um, and I love movies about 
last day of school, summer vacation. And I thought, who better to contribute some commentary than an elementary <laughs> school teacher? Um, so yeah, Dazed and Confused taking place on the last day of school was was one of the first movies I thought of that came to mind. Excellent. And then uh, said mini bonus episodes, we'll be doing one on the Goofy movie, which I don't, I haven't seen that since childhood. Is that about summer break or is it about the last day of school? Both. Uh, there is a fantastic number in the first uh, 10 minutes of the movie, <laughs> a musical number uh, that takes place on the last day of school. And then the rest of the movie is a, uh, is summer break with, uh, with Goofy and Max. I'm sold, even though I never, I've never ventured into the mythology of Goofy's, uh, I guess, you know, parental line. Well, to this day, I, I still don't really understand what Goofy is. And, uh, and when he had a son, I just kind of went along with it as a child. <laughs> but, um, but I think their dogs are, regardless, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. And then uh, to round out the trilogy, so to speak, uh, our patrons, you'll be getting a uh, a Brucey bonus episode, as Jay Hunter would say, on Wet Hot American Summer, which, as you all know, I talk about that movie relentlessly and my love and adoration for it. So that'll be coming your way here before too long. And then, yeah, Goofy Movie will be available to all listeners and it'll be more of just kind of a, uh, a quick real talk uh, version of an episode. So that is to come. But what is today is Dazed and Confused. Released on September 24th of 1993, as we mentioned, written and directed by Richard Linklater, though not Richard Linklater's first film, um, that being It's Impossible to Learn to Plow by Reading Books, and then, of course, Slacker, which in the years since has gained a, a sense of cult following. But this is certainly what a lot of people, it's the Mandela effect of his filmography. People just widely accept that it was his original entry. Budget of $6.9 million, box office return of around $8 million. So it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily uh, represent its legacy because God knows how beloved this movie is by the masses today. Maybe it was just too, uh, too soon to appreciate the 70s in the early 90s. For, first misstep it's about the last day of school and it comes out on september 24th that, yeah. i mean give me i was just thinking that when you said the release date that makes no sense the last day of school in uh 1976 it was may 28th the day before my birthday do they outright say it's in austin at any point i mean we know it is just from local lore but is it outright stated in the movie Actually, that was a, a question I had because I don't think so. It, I think that it is assumed it's in the South because of the way the coaches talk. And it's, I think it's like Robert E. Lee High School or Lee High School and they're the rebels. So, of course, you know, us Texans. That mom has a shotgun. And, yeah. And the local drunkard Multiple also guns. has a gun. Yeah. And you get the hell off my property. Well, that's setting the stage in 1976. Here in 2022, as we are in Austin as well, uh, we bring forth this installment of what we call the Contrarians, typically comprised of myself and Julio. We do on occasion have guests uh, like my sister here today joining us. But what we do here on the Contrarians is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times has that delicious intellectual property trademarked logo next to it that states certified fresh. And what we'll do with that is bring that movie down to size, discuss some of the overrated aspects, some of the baffling casting, writing choices, bad score, 
in this case, massively cliched score <laughs> and soundtrack <laughs> that's provided. And then conversely, we'll find movies on Rotten Tomatoes that are lowly rated. We typically shoot for about 30% and below those nasty green splotches known as rotten. And as you would guess, make a case for those films, positive merit, underrated directing, storytelling choices, positive scores, not cliched soundtracks, that type of thing. All in an effort to, uh, number one, just constantly educate the public that uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score in their system is not telling you the whole story hardly ever. And secondly, that uh, obviously art is subjective. And if you set your mind to it, you can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or as absolutely cynical about something as you want to be. But for our episodes, that comprises the first part, part one, the first half, if you will, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, they just have to check out part two. That's correct. Part two, that's uh, where we tell you how we really feel. It's aptly titled Real Talk because... We get real. We forget about the tomato meter score and we just focus on uh, our experience watching the movie. Uh, sometimes we also learn, along with the audience, how the other person felt. Um, we've had our share of discussions about Richard Linklater's uh, filmography, Alex. Uh, Days and Confuse has come up here and there, mostly as, I think, uh, kind of like a reference point, but never, I don't think we've ever really talked uh, about where we rank it, I guess, in his filmography. It's not like with the before trilogy where we both are on the same page and we know that those movies are superior to to the average movie. But with Days I Confused, I don't know. Like I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure for you. Um you don't know if I if I can relate to it at all, not having grown up here in the States. And and now we have this third perspective, which I'm really curious about because I don't know if reliving the last day of school is kind of a personal nightmare for Lillian or if it's something that uh she finds enjoyable. So We'll find out the true answers to all these questions in uh, Real Talk. Yes, I'm, I, th- I think the second part of this is going to be a particularly interesting discussion. Um, but for now, we've got to put our goggles of the contrary on. So before the, the bell for class rings, 93% <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, is it 93? 92%. I misspoke there. That was a, a big deficit. Uh, so... In addition to the just beloved legacy that it has, especially locally, as I stated, uh, it's widely adored by the critics. What uh, then now forever? What do the Rotten Tomatoes entries say about Dazed and Confused? Get some fresh tomatoes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. Um, I'll start with Bill Gibran from DVDTalk.com. It says Dazed and Confused is a perfect movie. It flawlessly captures the spirit of the 70s while arguing for a clear universality in the high school experience. Uh, it is not universal if I can't relate to it, and I can't relate to it, Alex. So I find fault. Also, it's not a universe I want to live in where we just accept bullying and hazing. <laughs> How old is Bill Gibber? Does he look at this and he's like, oh, well, those are the good old days. <laughs> he's got a rebel flag flying in his front yard. <laughs> Uh, Emmanuel Levy from manuallevy.com says Linklater's first masterpiece, possibly his best film, presents an accurate collective portrait of youth circa 1976, which unfolds in a casual, spontaneous, and charming manner as interlaced tales of pranks and adventures. Um, I guess none of us, not even me, like we're not old enough to be able to tell if this was an accurate collective portrait of youth circa 1976, but have your parents said anything about Days of Confused? Well, that's what I was just thinking about. Like for these people to say, so far these these two reviews, I can't get on board with. They sound way too excited about like it, as if that they were there. 
So, like, when my parents watched this, they obviously loved the music, but they couldn't really relate to much other than the clothes and the tunes, honestly. Like, it's not like this is the quintessential view of, of being a high school student in the 70s, but, oh. I mean, you were talking about the Mandela effect, Alex. Maybe the Mandela effect at play here is that people think that this is how it used to be. Like, collectively... Um, society has convinced themselves that this is what school was like in the 70s, but really it's just this uh, composite image created by movies and, I don't know, nostalgia. What high school in the 70s actually is, is you get an internship at Cream Magazine and then you go on tour with a, a rising <laughs> band. And lie about your age. There you, there you go. There you go. You fall in love with a, with a groupie and then she breaks your heart. A Band-Aid. <laughs> True. Uh, all right. Speaking of nostalgia, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times says, The film's real inspiration, I think, is to depict some high school kids from the 1970s with such unblinking attention that we will realize how romanticized most movie teenagers are. So Ebert is actually arguing that this is the real deal. <laughs> this is what real teenagers are like versus these are not movie teenagers. I disagree. <laughs> uh yeah, I was about to say these are not even teenagers. First, yeah, damn it! I was gonna say first of all, I'll take umbrage with the word teenager because, uh, as I stated already, Sasha Jensen was too old to be a high school kid when we talked about Halloween Four, and that movie was five years before this. So, like <laughs> him in this, he looks even grosser than Matthew McConaughey in the grand scheme of it all. <laughs> ben Affleck has to be at least in his early twenties in this movie. He's ready to don the cowl at this point and protect Gotham. <laughs> well, he definitely still has a baby face, but yeah, I, I can't look at the majority of that cast and think, man, te cool teens. <laughs> Real teens. There's, uh, Alex, and I understand it's to stress uh, that, but like the whole dichotomy of the freshmen who look like children and then the seniors who look like <laughs> community <parents>. theater kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex, we're going to close with a, a quote that just sounded like you. Brent McKnight from The Last Thing I See says, it's never going to be this good again. Is he Aww. talking about the movie or is he talking about the 70s? I or would both? think he watches this with the idea of it used to be better. Uh, that's not unlike... Uh, I mean, let's just go ahead and say it. Rory Cochran here returning after a, a long absence to the contrarians. And two years later, he would make a movie that I point to as the quintessential. It used to be better movie. So I can, I can kind of relate to what this guy's putting down. <laughs> I don't know, though. After watching this again, it's been several years since I've watched this all the way through. And like if if that was, you know, the golden era, like, yeesh, like, I know things aren't good right now, but things weren't all all gold then. The guy who, you know, this was the accurate portrait. He's like, damn right. There was only one character of color in the entire school. <laughs> Say, man, why don't you run up to the Centennial over there and uh, pick me up a six or this stuff? Think you do that? So it is the last day of school in 1976. Julio, I guess the first question I have for you here is... Um, I imagine it was. The last day of school always came along with the sense of excitement. I don't know in Peru, you know, how it worked if... I know you told me one time when you finished eighth grade, they just gave you a sword and said, you know, go fight. <laughs> go, but what's uh come back a man. There you go. <laughs> what uh, do, do you remember as a kid, a teenager, there being a, a sense of excitement and joy in the air upon the last day of school? Uh, I mean, kind of, but not in the way. See, it, it. I didn't realize until we were kind of 
getting to the end of the movie or I didn't quite grasp, even though they've been saying it, but that this was not the last day of school forever for the older kids, kids in quotation marks. Uh-huh. They're coming back. Like, I, I don't know why. I th- I guess because the level of excitement that they display at at the fact that it's the end of school and the, the kind of uh, no holds barred commitment to just debauchery in 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 this day makes me feel like they're burning all the bridges right they're, like they're not they don't care they're that's it this is it for school but no they're coming back next semester that's the feeling that we had when we were done with school for good like on the very last day of school like our last year of high school the the last day of school for for us americans here um being american me my sister and i it's both our blessing and our curse but uh <laughs> we were 4 years apart and age so i don't mean to speak for her but the last day of school always came along with just especially like um yeah i guess through elementary school and high school i I was thinking college is a lot different because like the summer break that is the most stressful part of the year like the last week of the semester before summer break because you got your finals and everything but elementary school through high school and lillian i'm curious your take as a teacher here when you get to the last few weeks of school, things start winding down and you're just like kind of, you know, watching the clock and biding time. But it's a it's a more exciting part of the year. Yeah, definitely. Um, the kids know it and teachers are <laughs> exhausted. Um, and, you know, it's that time when testing's over and grades are in and uh, you get to do the quote fun things like field day, uh, you know, science experiments in the classroom and uh, and then the last day of school, um, I've taught at a few different schools, but the one I'm at now, you know, the last day of school is always like a potluck or a, a celebration where you get awards for attendance or um, being the shining star, you know, just uh, just things to anticipate the coming year. Um, I've I've only taught elementary school, though, so as we'll see. In this movie, the the children I teach aren't aren't raring to go with you know sadistic torture of younger younger students, but I, I think I that's about to- <laughs> I think that's I was what made ask, yeah. the last day of school in Jason Confused so like debaucherous is because they're like yes we're going to be seniors and we get to make younger kids lives hell. I was going to ask if any of your students bought pot from Rory Cochran on the last day of school. <laughs> that was going to be a question. <laughs> So you don't brace yourself on the last day of school uh, for just the, the brutality of whatever's going to happen to your younger students. Right. No, I mean, um, actually, I'm moving up with my previous uh, students from last year. I taught third grade and I am moving up with them to fourth grade. So I guess I get to see how they change. But no, there's never been like and again, we'll we'll talk more about this. But even when I was in high school hazing had kind of been not played out but but frowned upon and this whole idea of like obsessing over you know being the the big men or women on campus is is just like i hope an antiquated thing for most schools but did used to be better <laughs> i i guess so alex did you uh did you ever take a paddle to a to a freshman no no i had as has been discussed on here before, my high school experience was not traditional, but there was never paddling like that. I did uh, go to some rush parties uh, with some fraternities where paddles were broken out, but I, I never uh, partook. 
on the the swinging or the the taking. <laughs> so it's a much different story they craft here than my last day of school. The the worst last day of school I ever had was in fifth grade. I had just this bitch of a teacher named Mrs. Rhodes. And like I was excited. It was the last day of school. So I colored my hair yellow like in celebration. And then she like I got there and she made me wash it out. It was like, it's the last day of school. She was just a miserable fucking wench. So <laughs> I hope nothing good came to her in her life. That's basically where I'm at here. That's what Dazed and Confused made me realize is that my fifth grade teacher, I hope uh, she's unhappy somewhere. Every time she tries to she tries to dye her hair. For some reason it doesn't take. It's because you put the curse on her. The the hex. Yeah. All right. Julio already called it out, but there quickly into this movie, you ask yourself, what is the plot of this? And, you know, this is 93 so we're Seinfeld's really starting to take off and so I guess everyone's idea was just like we don't need a story it doesn't need to be about anything uh we know it's about high school and about these kids which they do an awful job too of establishing who the cool kids are it's just kind of like that's the problem like everyone is portrayed as equal but we quickly see that that's not the case at all that there's still the classic high school hierarchy and then there's the incoming freshman hazing and torture is there more to the story than just that? Is it just it's the last day of school? So we see what the initiation process is and then we just watch people party. It really feels like that's it. <laughs> there is like a, a smattering of potential plot lines that never go anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a Jeremy London's love life. Apparently, he has a girlfriend. He's dating the girl from Amy. Chasing Amy. Oh, yeah. don't get me started on that. <laughs> a Joey Lauren Adams is her name, by the yes. way, because Lillian was like. Adams. Lillian was aghast that she got second billing. And I was like, <laughs> she was supposed to be something. We talk about that in the Chasing Amy episode. She was supposed to be like a, a top dog. Simone was her name in the movie. Yes. Yeah. So he has this this kind of love triangle with her and then uh, the older sister of the, the main freshman that we follow. So the Jody. And Michelle then, Burke. Then their story. Also, Jeremy London has the, the little slip that he needs to sign Mm -hmm. that carries us through the movie (laughs) that is kind of a story it's kind of a plot and then what else like the story of the freshman who might or might not hook up with an older girl well there's two freshmen we follow through the night there's mitch kramer and then um the the girl freshman i don't remember that's right yeah but it seems to be just a slice of life Look at how carefree we are. Um, and then at the end, like a bit of like tough life decisions. But yeah, it, I, I guess you're right, Alex. At this time, it was, you know, let's make something about nothing and put a cool 70s soundtrack to it. What is what is the explanation, Alex? Why haven't we gotten this type of soundtrack from uh, Richard Linklater ever again? Probably because like he spent all the money he had saved up his entire <laughs> life for soundtracks on this. And I don't know what you're talking about. We we did a whole episode where we talked about a film of his that had the most pandering ass soundtrack ever. Wait, which <laughs> movie? Boyhood. Boyhood. Oh, never saw that. Didn't care to. It takes years to watch. Took years to make. You could literally watch Days to Confuse twice in the same amount of time. And uh. But it is established these rituals. The guys paddle the incoming freshmen. Uh, basically, the, the gentlemen moving up to senior paddle the incoming freshmen. The young ladies moving up to senior haze the incoming freshmen. And again, you know, Michelle Burke, um, 
uh, one of the members of the love triangle there, Jody, is a gorgeous. She's gorgeous in this movie, but she looks 20 years older than some of these girls that she's hazing. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> you. Who are you? Uh, nobody. I mean, I wasn't on the track. Are you a freshman? Yeah. Well, are you in or are you out? But there's still this like very clear divide. And you want to talk about things not aging well, and especially when someone says like the good old days, like when Jody tells the guys to take it easy on her brother and they're like, okay. And she turns around and one of them paddles her on the ass, like playfully. And she's like, Oh, Benny, it's just like, <laughs> dog, this, this shit ain't aged well at all. Mm-mm. That's just the beginning. There's a lot of disturbing paddling in, in this movie. Um, before we continue, there is one scene that takes place um, in the, probably the first 10 minutes. Um, you know, they're uh, kind of going around to different classrooms and there's not much learning or teaching going on. You know, everyone knows it's last day of school and they're in this one classroom and the, the, these ladies are going through and seeing if they can name all of the episodes of Gilligan's Island. Do we, do we remember this? <laughs> yes. She's using a blackboard. Using a blackboard and chalk. Yeah. But then they go to the bathroom for a smoke break, as you do uh, <laughs> as a 16-year-old in 1976. And there's this really weird moment where I think this is the only lines for this actress. She's got like the, the brunette bob. And she has this monologue where she's trying to sound all informed and smart and feminist about how Gilligan's Island is just a, a metaphor for like a, a man's fantasy, pornographic fantasy. What point did that have? That was the, the Seinfeld moment that Alex was calling out, the, the, the influence. It's like, you know the thing about Gilligan's Island? <laughs> and then she just rambles on in a way that is not relevant to the rest of the movie at all, because it's not like the movie is exploring that type of male fantasy. And, exactly, uh, because the very next moment, Benny's spanking her with a paddle and she's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, and, that made no sense to me. And our main character, Randall, is having this love triangle where he never suffers any consequence from it. <laughs> he just gets to make out <laughs> with both chicks. And, you know, at the end, Joey Lauren Adams is just like, all right, you're OK with me. Uh, I'm the last one standing, so I, I win. But I feel uh, like that was just like this one moment where they tried to make a female character seem like really heady or really like, um, you know, there's a lot more to us. And then she never speaks again in the movie. And then, yeah, we're left with these <laughs> colorful terms that are used for women. But but I thought that I, I thought that was just so strange and served no purpose. She uh, she serves no purpose, just like uh, Mila Jovovich in this movie. I think that that's how you know where the where the movie stands where it comes to female characters. You have uh, the protagonist of the Resident Evil series, the future protagonist of Resident Evil, the anchor of a franchise. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's just standing in the background. I think that that just shows Linklater's uh, shortcomings as a director, right? Like he. He focuses so much on crafting this really awkward, clunky monologue about Gilligan's Island so he can have his one feminist moment in the movie really early on, just kind of like getting out of the way. Mm. And the whole time, he's just letting Mila Jovovich's talent waste away in the background. She says maybe 10 words in the, the entire movie. And every time it was just uh, disheartening 
just to see somebody so talented just kind of shun away. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Like I'm not as familiar with this director, but has he been, you know, has he been known for any sort of like misogynist type of filmmaking? Like I no. well, depending on how you read the before trilogy. <laughs> but you know, like his more accessible stuff like Bernie and Boyhood and um School of Rock that I mean they're they're all definitely from a male perspective, but that's a very good call out, Olio. Dep- you can read the before trilogy in many different ways, but uh, the main one is don't get married and have kids. It ruins your life. Uh, I think that once you realize that uh, the entire three movies, Link Ladder thinks that Ethan Hawke is in the right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's when you realize that you, this, is, this is not a good guy. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a something to be called out here. This kind of bleeds into some real talk, but it's true. Uh, actress Mila Jovovich is like viewed like in a certain level of like iconography with this movie, like people, when they think of this, they think of like her and her aesthetic in this. And that's gotta be because like, you know, her image was used in the poster, the VHS cover, all like the advertising material, but you're right. She has like literally three lines in the movie. Um, and she looks 16. She was 16. And it's like, when it shows her, I'm like, God, she looks like a kid. That's why she stands out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone else is collecting their AARP, and she's just like, <laughs> "I want to go to the burger shop." So but that's we get. What uh, I mean, does he just is are his female characters more seen and not heard? I wonder. Shirley MacLaine does die in Bernie. She gets killed. So. <laughs> she's putting on a, a freezer, right? Yeah. <laughs> the deluge, the cascade, the just waterfall of the cast begins as um our two-year second-year senior obanion played by ben affleck my note just says that's batman in all caps uh he flunked his senior year so he's gonna repeat it he's just kind of he's the his casting makes sense because you know affleck was starting his he was starting to cut his teeth in hollywood and he he looks like someone who's flunked uh a few years of school and would be a senior. So his casting, I think is spot on. Um, We also have the incomparable Parker Posey who plays, uh, what's her character's name? Darla. 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 Good call. And she's like the, the queen bee of the, the senior girls that, you know, directs traffic with all this hazing and whatnot. Uh, Roy Cochran, as I mentioned, plays ron slater who's the the resident pothead adam goldberg is in this anthony rap uh, jacob of course from uh road trip as at least lillian and i know him uh, sean andrews who uh we talked about julio on the uh, preview of this drove off to las vegas with mila jovovich while they were filming it and eloped um joey lauren adams we already Good mentioned sausage jansen <laughs> cole hauser you know him from something else, Julio. I, I just know he was on a movie called Paparazzi. What is it you know him from? I was about to call him out for Paparazzi. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought there was something you had cited before with him. You're like, yeah, it's Cole Hauser from something, something. But, uh, I, I think I had him confused with a different Cole, the, the guy from Charmed. <laughs> this is not the oh. guy from Charmed. He he is not from Charmed, nor is he charming. So that, that no, works all the same. He's just there, like this movie. He's just there. He's Cole Hauser. It kind of sucks, like it, you know, like these people—they're all here, like kind of bouncing off each other, and it's like only one of them got to be Batman. You know, like <laughs> Affleck, like 
<laughs> the asshole is the one that like showed up to stardom. That's gonna hurt. Cole Hauser was like, that could have been me. It, it could have been anyone, and it just happened that, that it was Affleck. Oh, that's it. I fucking saw that, you little sack of shit. You two are fucking dead. You hear me? You're fucking dead. You know, we have our cast characters, and we get like a sustained 15 minutes or so of just the hazing and paddling. It's just like, all right, we get the point. Yeah, but it's set to Alice Cooper's school's out, so it's got to be enjoyable, right? You you paid for the song, so you're going to play the whole thing. Yeah, we get two Alice Cooper songs we in do. this sequence. We get School's Out and uh, No More N- Mr. Nice Guy, which is a fucking banger. I'm not going to complain about hearing that. but Indeed. It kind of loses the fun, though, when it's just playing as four grown adults are abusing a, <laughs> what, a minor? 15-year-old? Well, yeah. <laughs> right before this scene, um, the the incoming freshmen that we meet who are you know facing their their doom uh ask their teacher like can we can we leave early and i love that his name is mr Payne. delicious <laughs> but uh and how he makes like a reference to his time uh, assumingly in vietnam and like as if these are equitable circumstances <laughs> yeah he's uh i guess it kind of makes sense in the sense that uh the odds are against these kids. And I guess the, the Adam Goldberg character kind of calls it out at some point where he mentions that it's kind of insane that uh, all this happens and all the adults look the other way. Just this sort of, it, it was dystopian. Like watching it, I couldn't believe that. Because uh, it's not, this is not something, there's not hazing that's happening behind closed doors. It's just happening out there in the open. <laughs> and, and the adults are either looking away or actively celebrating it. And my thought was, if this movie was taking place in a different country, the, the audience would be horrified. You know, you'd be like, oh, these savages. <laughs> but because it's happening in America, it's just like, oh, isn't that cute? It was just tradition. That's just kids. how it goes. There's kids. And we get like a car chase where they're trying to chase down some of these freshmen to paddle them. And it's... I had myself asking what you know what is this movie what kind of movie is this and then before the the paddling of uh our main freshman there mitch kramer it's like his baseball game and it goes in a slow-mo and it's like link ladder showing he can direct a dramatic sports movie this this entire movie feels like one long demo reel that he was just like see i can shoot stuff like this and i can do stuff like this and stuff like this so here you go um i do want to call out during the female hazing which just seemed not even clever they just put like ketchup and mustard on these women and made them demean themselves in an almost sexual manner and then run them through a car wash so all right but (laughs) i did this is the first time ever i spotted renee zellweger in this i had always read you can see her in the hazing scene and the problem is she looks so much like joey lauren adams or vice versa that i always just assumed it was her and it's this really quick shot but i did rewind it i was like lillian there she is so uh, you got Lucas and Gina, two of the gang from Empire Records, are soundly represented here in Days to Confuse. So she is she a freshman or a senior? Senior. She's a senior. She's. It's just her. She walks in real quick and starts squirting ketchup or mustard on some of the young girls. Are you sure it wasn't Joy Lauren Adams? Yes. Yes, because she had cannot, a different haircut. And you cannot mistake the eyebrows of one Renee Zellweger. All right, so you have uh, that reunion, and you have the Chasing Amy reunion, even though I don't think they share the screen at all. But 
Ben Affleck. My God. And- how did I make the connection of a, <laughs> someone has two seconds of screen time of oh, Empire Records, but two characters that have multiple like scenes and lines in this from Chasing Amy? I wasn't able to connect that. I, what is her name in Chasing Amy? Do we ever remember? Um, Alyssa. Okay, because obviously I always want to call her Amy, so to speak. And <laughs> uh, my note says Jacob hits on an eighth grader. Uh, Anthony Rapp, who plays Tony in this, starts hitting things off with this. I don't know, man. I know, like, <laughs> number wise, if you put their ages together, it doesn't seem like. Look, it's, it's all a warm up till when we see uh, McConaughey. So this was Link Ladder kind of like setting the stage. He's like, are you uncomfortable yet? Because you're going to be in a little bit. Because, <laughs> yeah, when you on paper put 14 and 16 next together, you're like, oh, they're people the same age. But then when okay, this movie tells you. Rap does not look 16. <laughs> that's the problem. It's like, he not like only is this, is this movie telling you like this, you know, upper for, uh, classman in high school is hitting on an eighth grader. But yeah. And then you look at him and you're like, dude, that guy is at least 24. <laughs> the movie evolves from this point as the entire plan for the last day of school is sean andrews kevin pickford is going to have a party at his house and that gets completely busted it falls apart as his parents catch him with the kegs of beer i do want to make note the guy who delivers the beer knew this was his time to shine and (laughs) the way he delivers the lines i want to believe fucking link ladder tried to get chris farley but the budget wouldn't allow it and he just told the guy act like chris farley because he you know he does that like <laughs> tilts his head really deep on one side and, yep that big mistake you know he, you know what i mean his cadence is very farley poor man's farley that's kevin james <laughs> oh excuse Which me just like uh uh pickford's dad is the poor man's red foreman did you get that he was going for that red foreman vibe but it's like he's not red foreman so why why even try Kurtwood Smith watched this movie and said, I can do that better. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a nice start, a good first draft, but let's take it to the next level. And there was, that was another, I think that, you know, talking about like potential storylines that never go anywhere, this is another one. I thought that the movie was going to be about the party. And then, oh, it's going to be about them kind of trying to have the party around these parents. Or, but that doesn't really happen. It's just that, the, you know, it, it was going to happen. And then the dad decides that they're going to stay. And then that's kind of like the end of that story. (laughs) Right. And then they all just start driving around, which if we uh, are going to think about, I don't remember the guy who said it, but if these were the best times, you know, just driving around, oh, with a trunk full of warm beer, that scene where (laughs) they are, they catch another kid to paddle him and, you know, ladies pull up and he pops the trunk and he's like, popping a beer you know and they ask like hey can we have some i would be like ew that's warm <laughs> beer in your trunk there's like there's no way that that's going to be enjoyable but hey they seem to love it he's so proud though that's that's probably the the time that he looks the most like a teenager that's uh, uh. sasha jensen right yes yeah i guess i'm trying to think sequentially yeah he would have been because part four of Halloween is based in real time. So he was still 12 years away from being murdered by Michael Myers. So he's, uh. <laughs> he's, he has. Uh, do you remember his death in that? He has like the the, you know, really dignified go out on your shield death where he tries to shoot Michael and the gun locks up. So he just punches him in the face and then Michael like picks him up by his neck and he 
and like spits on him right before Michael like snaps his neck. That'll show him. <laughs> it's so good. Hey, can we have some of those beers? One of these? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Just give me a beer. Get out of here, I said. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Lillian, because I was in college when you were in high school. And Julio, this question goes for you as well. Um, I know I remember riding around like in the 90s with some of our cousins and their high school friends. Mm-hmm. Lily, it was like just the aimlessly driving around and just doing shit. Was that still cool when you were in high school? I mean, if someone had a car and their license. Yeah, I just feel like when I was in high school, the internet was like really becoming more focused on, you know, teens and preteens having like connections. And, and when I thought about like, you know, Mitch Kramer, his first beer getting drunk, I, I thought about sneaking beers and getting on AOL instant messenger, you know, getting in like chat rooms with the kids you go to high school with. Maybe we were nerds. I don't know. But that's what I remembered in, you know, the aughts, the the early 2000s. And but I mean, yeah, if someone had a car, it was it was always cool. But it wasn't just like, let's go drive around and and uh, and listen to music because we had, you know, a computer at home and the Internet. So I, I didn't make a connection to that. You drove around in the information highway. There you go. Man. You were quick on that one, Julio. Was that, but for <laughs> for you, was that a thing at all when you were younger, just driving around aimlessly? Uh, no, no. Um, man, traffic in Peru is a nightmare. It's been a nightmare <laughs> since before my time. So it's it's a stressful thing, and I it's never. That's why I didn't learn to drive until I moved here. Because the the idea of learning in you know that environment was just uh, it, it was just too it was too much. I couldn't do it, and. Uh, so there was nothing relaxing or cool about getting in a car, <laughs> just getting stuck in traffic. Yeah, I think it also and, depends on like where you grew up. You know, like we were close to Austin when I by the time I was in high school, but I didn't really start going into the city until I was a senior, eighteen or seventeen, about to graduate. But yeah, I, I just think it really depends on where you grew up because in Kyle, like. You could drive around the neighborhood, but that that's boring. So I, I don't know. I think that's also one of the things about this movie. It's like there is nothing fun or relaxing about driving around Austin anymore. So I watched this and I was just like, this is this doesn't age well. There's nothing I want to do less than drive around Austin. Yep. You just keep thinking about the gas prices and how much gas these guys are wasting. <laughs> <laughs> but also, how small was Austin in the seventies? I guess that. They just keep running into each other as they're driving aimlessly around the city. No shit. Yeah, they had to be in like a five block or five mile radius of each other the whole time. I mean, if you got tunes like those, I guess that's fun. <laughs> just listen to Slow Ride six times. No, thank you. He's been mentioned already, and there's absolutely no way to talk about this movie without getting to it. The introduction of Matthew McConaughey, the Mahay appears here as uh wooderson is his character in this and he is uh david wooderson i mean you could find him as the cool guy or a lecherous old man depending on (laughs) 
your prerogative, but he is a, a former football star and someone who was really popular in high school. And he still just hangs out with all the high school kids and max on the, the crop of high school talent. And you got to ask the hard questions, Alex, how old is this dude? <laughs> he looks okay. So comparatively speaking, if you know, I'm supposed to believe that, uh, Michelle Burke is 17, then he's <laughs> at least 28. Like it's <laughs> right. He's yeah. closing in on 30. I mean, but this is, this is the debut of Matthew McConaughey and is one of the most Matthew McConaughey performances in the dawn of an actor. That's obviously one of the most prominent of his generation. And, I think it's kind of dangerous to reflect on this as a comedic performance when in reality he's just this creep that stalks and, you know, zones in and capitalizes on the naivety of high school students. He's just looking for a good time, you know. He's just chilling. (laughs) But wait, was he, this was his debut, like, legit? I think he had done a few things beforehand, but this was, like, his big... And, you know, it's not like he gets, like, feature casting or things. So this was the third thing he was in. Mm. Uh, he was in something called Chicago uh, Chariots, which was a short film. And then My Boyfriend's Back. Holy shit, he's in that movie? That's a Sean Cunningham production. That's like a really bad fucking horror movie from the early 90s. So now I have to watch that again because I know he's in it. But yeah, this was the first thing that he had like an actual role in and had like speaking lines in and was given this platform. And, wow. you know, you know, at the time, everyone celebrates it as like, oh, what a performance and what direction he took this character. And when in reality, it's just fucking Matthew McConaughey being himself. <laughs> <laughs> what if Matthew McConaughey really liked liked really young girls? That's really what the, what the pitch was. It's really disturbing because. I mean, this is probably the most iconic, like the the biggest bit of legacy that this movie has. Everybody, like the line is quoted. And I think that when we quote it in popular culture, we don't really let the meaning and the context sink in. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. (laughs) Yes, they do. That is incredibly creepy in the context of the movie that it, it finally you know watching it as you know with everything else especially because by the time that it happens you're already at least 40 minutes into the movie so you've had uh you you've been soaked in the the just the environment of these freshmen that look really young and so now you know it's not like when you pull up the gif on the internet and you just see him saying the line now you know exactly what he's talking about because you've been watching it's like these little girls so it it was incredibly of putting and at the same time he's really charismatic you that's kind of irresponsible <laughs> richard linkletter to just cast a guy that's so charming as the predator character in his movie and then it's not even as if the movie ends up somehow uh uh punishing him for this right i mean he's he's still the cool guy at the end the closest it comes is uh i think it's cole hauser that tells him oh you know you're gonna go to jail one of these days but that's it but you know things were better then <laughs> yes when <laughs> people were not so uptight <laughs> yeah. him and him and sasha jensen have one of the most disgusting handshakes i've ever seen <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> so just limp hands no they like kind of do like a you know slap hands but then they 
take their fingers and place it under the opposite oh, nose, yeah. you know, like and <laughs> sniff. I haven't seen this movie, like I said, in years, and that was the first time I I actually noticed that, and I I audibly was like, oh what <laughs> oh my god what is that the freshman reacts that way too i think they give him a close-up where he just kind of makes a face that's so universe building though because it lets you know that like wooderson has a rapport with sasha jensen who's a junior in high school at this point <laughs> and so it's like how does he have any friends his own age is is the real question the I, I will say this though uh the best shot of the entire film involves matthew mcconaughey and it is uh, Matthew McConaughey, Randall Pink Floyd, and um, Mitch. Mitch entering the Emporium. It's the shot of like this panning back. McConaughey opens the door and comes through, and it's like in the smoky club or the pool hall, rather. And Hurricane by Bob Dylan plays. Yeah. It's real talk in Trans Corner. That's that is an incredible shot. Big fan of that. Um, uh, you know, moving along, we have the classic check you later scene with rory cochran uh we get just kind of more universe building that seems out of place like mcconaughey's talking to this guy about cars it's like why the shit do we give a crap about this guy and it's like oh because he's gonna fight adam goldberg later in the movie more just like casual womanizing and men talking flaunting their affairs in front of women and you know i guess these are the good old days though you know what i mean so they're everybody's pretty sex obsessed in this movie um, uh, you've been in high school before, Julio? Yeah, no, no, no. I was saying, uh, okay. you know, it, it is. It, but there's two moments that, especially because the movie's acknowledging this, they rang so false. Uh, one is the fact that uh, Anthony Rapp and Adam Goldberg are uh, hanging out the entire time with this uh, pretty cool redhead. Uh, what's her name in the movie? Uh, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, is it Cynthia? Cynthia. Cynthia. Yeah, there you go. She seems really cool. She seems to. Uh, kind of embrace them in a way that no other girl in the school does. Yeah, and the Mike character is so fucking annoying. <laughs> yes, the whole a- time. I I guess that's the point. But that that actor, what's his name? Adam Goldberg. Yeah, he's really good at playing that, like, uh, like really like yeah. kind of annoying, pitiful guy. An acknowledged misanthrope in this movie. He also dies a, a horrible death in Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring it up and they're like, oh, no, that, I don't want to bum Alex out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, are you telling me that these two guys, like neither of them has ever like it never even crossed their mind to to maybe, maybe you know, go for it with this with this girl that clearly already has a connection with both of them. Uh, and they're driving around. Then when like, she really like expresses or, you know, shows interest in the Mahay when he, we get the, all right, all right, all right. And he pulls <laughs> up and she's like all smiles and she even starts picking her hair and they're both like, Oh my gosh, how could you be into that guy? It's like, they immediately criticize her for acting like blushing about him. I mean, they had half the movie to make their move, right. and they didn't. Yeah. So then, just the Mahay came in and and you know saved the day, made his play. Uh, and then the other part is when uh, I guess there's like this dance going on, and one of the freshmen is uh, making out with another freshman, I guess, and his buddies come up to him and they're like, "We need to go," and he actually stops making out with the girl and follows them 
nowhere. Like it's not even like they, they actually had anywhere to go. And I was like, there is no way. What 14, 13, 15 year old would stop a makeout session just to go hang out with his buddies outside the the dance? It, it, is that how it goes in America? Because I, I can tell you, no Peruvian freshman would leave that. <laughs> I realized upon this watch, Anthony Rapp has the line from this that I like regularly quote in my everyday life is when it just cuts to them in the car and uh, they're just like, there's nothing going on. And he just goes fairly uneventful. I, I didn't realize that's where I got this from because I, mm-hmm. I say that very often. Mm-hmm. Richard Linklater is just shaking his head in disgust. He's like, that's the line. <laughs> <laughs> we get some felonies committed as the, the gang goes out. Sasha Jensen. Uh, Sean Andrews, Jason London, and Wiley Wiggins is Mitch Kramer's name. Yeah. Destroy some mailboxes, throw a bowling ball through a window. One of the gentlemen who uh, whose mailbox got destroyed shows up with a gun. We get this sequence where he you know tries to get him out of the car. They take off. He ends up shooting at him. It's just a crazy night. It, it makes for a good it ma- exactly Texas. makes for a good story. Uh, the one character of color in the entire film asks Mitch to go get a six pack at the the gas station across the street. Not even uh, character, but like person that you see in the movie. The only <laughs> black person. Which well, there's the the teacher. The teacher was also black. Mr. Payne, the, you're right. You're right. Yeah, okay, I stand corrected. So I stand corrected. But still, man, that was that was kind of bleak. Two people of color in a sea of honkies. <laughs> Men, 50 of you are leaving on a mission. 25 of you ain't coming back. Uh, the gas station attendee, and my note just says not Bob Odenkirk. because he. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he this is the liquor store where the pregnant woman is smoking a cigarette and buying a, a bottle of liquor. Yes, yes. And he's giving her like prenatal advice. Lots of calcium. <laughs> things were better we uh fade into our first playing of slow ride which longtime listeners and also julio knows why i just have such strong detest for that song ben but affleck this, this movie is the entire guitar hero playlist seemingly obanion ben affleck gets his the the freshman figure out a plan to get him and they lure him in and end up just dumping a big bucket of paint on him and he ends up looking like an idiot uh ben affleck makes sure to drop the f word on his way out though we get a a couple instances of i guess at this point you can't even really use the term homophobia it's more of just like straight up hate speech uh but we get a couple f words in this oh i i was waiting for my opportunity to uh share the list of like i said before colorful terms that are used because you know things were better um (laughs) earlier in the movie when it was they were still at school one of the football coaches is, you know, razzing his players and talking about, I don't even want to say, talking about the muff that they're going to get into over the summer. I was like, oh, <laughs> a coach saying that to a student. This is before woke culture ruined everything. Yeah. Bitch, slut, prick tease. I thought that was an interesting one. Which these are all, again, these are all... uh misogynist but yes there are a couple of of f words in this which i was uh not surprised by i guess but again something i wouldn't have really noticed when i watched this as a kid 
The thing with Affleck, though, I mean, he makes an impressive exit, but uh, and, and we don't see him in the movie again. But I just don't know how this fixes the problem. Like, if I was a freshman and I just did that, I would be fearing for my life the rest of the summer. It's not like they killed him. I mean, they they just made him angrier. He's like the Hulk now. Well, how is this a good idea? I was at, like, I noticed that his peers, well, he doesn't really have any peers because he was <laughs> held back. But his uh, <laughs> the, the kids in his same grade were even, like, pointing and laughing at him, so... You know, I guess it it leaves us hoping that he'll change his ways. But yeah, definitely, he's psycho with his uh, fuck you paddle. Oh, he broke it. That's how you know it was over. Mm-hmm. The party moves to the Moon Tower, which is just I guess this local venue or uh, spot rather site that everyone knows about and goes to. You know, the party picks up. They get some kegs, have a good time. We get out there. Adam Goldberg starts, you know, there's some contention with uh, the gentleman that was talking about cars with Wooderson a bit earlier. We get a almost verbatim recycling of Roddy Piper's line yep. from They Live. Yeah, Alex was not going <laughs> to let that one go. Do you think Linklater thought that he was, he was going to get away with it? It has to be a tribute. That has to be a tribute. When was They Live? 1990. I, I, I'm guessing. Let me double check that. They Live... Wow, they live was 1988. Oh. Uh, so Linklater figured enough time had gone by. He no one's going to remember. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I won't mention gum. I'll throw a beer in there. It's just different enough that it might work. 88? Piper had the 90s hair in that, though. It's blowing my mind right now. Anyway, we get the best original screenplay scene where Cole Hauser takes jason london into a truck and explains to him you know you need to sign this slip and you need to come back because you, you know you'll be leaving us behind leaving us in the lurches if if you don't and you know he gets really uh earnest and very steadfast about his position to the point where he ends up slamming the car door and leaving him it's the opposite of the of the goodwill hunting speech that ben affleck gives matt uh matt damon <laughs> instead yes. of telling him you should go spread your wings and leave us behind he's like you better stay in this town <laughs> Touché. it's another like oh this is texas football is everything that that really annoyed me about how like you're gonna let us all down if you don't throw that pigskin next season like I mean, I'm glad that it wasn't like a huge part, but like you said, the piece of paper keeps coming back. Like, is he gonna is he gonna be the quarterback or not? There's that scene earlier in it where like some old localers are like, "Are you gonna throw two thousand yards next fall?" And I was like, "God, that living that type of life seems like hell. Like, just everyone knows everybody. That type of thing." So, so let's let's talk about Jason London for a second because I think that you know we're we're coming to the to the climax of the movie and we really haven't discussed the guy that comes the closest to being the protagonist <laughs> is the fact that Jason London is kind of forgettable as the lead in this movie. Is that his fault or is it Linklater's fault because he surrounded him with people that were more uh, memorable? I guess in a way, like you know, you you put him next to. Matthew McConaughey so instantly just he stole the the thunder of every scene that they were in and then you have like everybody else I guess what's what's the deal do you guys know Jason London from anything else nope I don't I'm looking over his filmography which is quite vast but yeah that's a good question like is it on his acting or is it on the writing like I I think he's fine he's uh, apart from you know not necessarily looking like a 17 year old 
I think he plays the part well as far as being like slightly aloof, but also in a in a pivotal position in his life. But it's also the writing, right? Like if we are supposed to see this kid as the protagonist, as the main character, like then why make all of these like kind of nebulous subplots that we're also supposed to follow that don't really end up kind of being about nothing so i don't really see this movie as having a main character which was why i was even more stunned that that woman got second billing i was like that just that didn't make sense (laughs) to me because she was barely in it like who are the main characters quote unquote in this movie Ooh, uh, these people uh i think i i already brought up empire records earlier but it's a similar uh set of circumstances where it's like this you can't call it an ensemble cast because it's not like it's lo- it's not like an oceans movie a soderbergh movie that's like loaded with a-listers but at least in empire records they had the foresight to start the movie with lucas's big slip up so you, it feels to you like the story is lucas's and it's just all these other people weaving in and out of it and this ages from the beginning there's you know 20 people on screen at all times so there's no way to decipher so when they try to make these moments of like emotional resonance with jason london it's just kind of like okay but why should we care yeah yeah exactly it's like nothing has mattered especially when you're ignoring your girlfriend the whole fucking movie god that 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 really got to me as a as a 31 year old woman now i'm like what just but then again things were better did you see that denim jumpsuit that jody was wearing Jody Kramer. I I get where he's coming from. Uh, yeah, and he's got his like fucking silk shirt unbuttoned, just strutting around. <laughs> the white around. pants. The one of my notes is women be playing games because she like <laughs> lures him out to the middle of the woods and starts making out and be like, Mm-mm, "You have a girlfriend." Yeah, she, he grabs her boob and then she's like, "Wait, what are you doing? Like, you have a girlfriend." <laughs> but speaking of her outfit and and. Um, pinks that might be the best part of this movie is the costumes that is the one thing i think was most enjoyable for me on this watch because you know seeing pictures of our parents like they got that like spot on like the the clothes were really made it how about the hair yeah i mean the like hair where girls would uh lay it on the ironing board and use the iron or the where they show her (laughs) pulling up her pants with the pliers they're so tight yeah that that's one thing that this movie definitely did right yeah adam goldberg's hair in particular was just magnificent yeah there was a whole movie going on there he he ends up being one of like the standouts in the last act he ends up getting in a fight he stands up for himself sadly gets his ass beaten but It'd be that way sometimes. Come on, man. You want some more? You fucking bitch. Some more womanizing as Mitch is starting to hit it off with this girl. And then the upperclassmen call him over and tell him, you know, in no uncertain terms, you need to have sex with that woman. And uh, (laughs) it's the way the camera pans. She's like six feet away from this conversation. And they're talking like she's not there. Like if the camera was like a wide shot, it would be like the office. It would pan over to her just like looking at the camera being like, I can hear what you're saying. (laughs) And especially when Jason London like pulls him closer to her and is like, hey, get a ride from her. Tell her we ditched you. And it's just like she can probably hear everything you're saying right now. Yeah. Like Uh, I know that there's worse in his moments, but that in particular for me, when they like come here and like they put their arm over his shoulder and stuff like are you gonna bang her like that was the creepiest exchange for me because he's like he looks so young yeah and 
but they're you know egging him on yeah and she's she's literally right there guys come on tuesday's gone starts playing uh we you know it's the the closing of the party we get a lot of interstitials uh something in my adult life that i have absolutely no patience or time for anymore is stoned conversation that's something when you're young it's really fun when you get high and you just talk about shit that like was it a munchkin that hung himself a wizard of Oz? You know, you like talk about music videos or shit like that. It just endlessly making no sense. It's cool. I'm 35 now. I, I love Rory Cochran, but that scene where he's in like talking to the guys about aliens and George Bush grow or not George Bush, George Washington, excuse me, growing weed. Um, it just takes me to like, people that are really annoying when they're high and I want nothing to do with it. So it's just like, just move this along, please. I'm begging you. Uh, and they do, they end up going to the football field to smoke some weed there. Uh, Wooderson ends up getting Cynthia's phone number. And in another moment of womanizing, uh, he sends her off with a, a nice firm tap on the backside. <laughs> and she of course is like, Ooh, she giggles. And then she does away. She's like, Oh, you're going to be in Texas chainsaw mask in two years. <laughs> They get high at the football field. Uh, we get the big moment of introspection with uh, Jason London as Sasha Jensen just says, yeah, well, if we're stuck here, I'm going to make sure I can do it the best I can while we're here. It's even like the thing that stops him dead in his tracks. And he's like, you know, staring off into the into nothingness and the camera slowly like circling around him. This movie is Richard Linklater's demo reel. <laughs> See all the things I can do cops show up and the best part is one of the cops knows fucking Wooderson because he went to high school with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, I mean, obviously it was impossible for them to know, but in the year 2022, uh, there's just this really metatextual irony to seeing Jason London talking about how he doesn't want to look back at this time, these times as like, the golden years, like the best times of his life as, mm -hmm. you know, and we know that in a way, I guess when he looks at his career, like Days of Confused has to be <laughs> one of the high points, <laughs> if not the high point. Oh, the irony. Link Ladder wasn't even trying there and it happened. He, it's the closing scene of the film, but Jason London gets his Oscar clip, his, you know, best actor. What was 93? Dave was that year too. So he would have been up against kevin klein and the other titans of the industry uh daniel day lewis for the age of innocence all right so jason london with this entry here <laughs> son of a bitch it was tom hanks for philadelphia uh <laughs> daniel day lewis in the name of the father lawrence fishburne what's love got to do with it anthony hopkins the remains of the day and liam neeson for schindler's list so <laughs> jason london for days that confused <laughs> Jason London, dazed and confused, just cuts to him and he's Joaquin just shaking his head. <laughs> but he tells the coach, you know, I'm not going to sign you a little paper here. You don't know my friends. You don't know my life. You can't tell me how to live. Can't tell me what to do. Uh, and I may play football for you, but I'll never sign this and crumples it up and hurls it his way and begins walking off. The group reconvenes and the plan. Wooderson says, "Ooh, got my third win going. And the, the plan is that they're going to drive to go pick up some Aerosmith tickets. Now this, this is the one part here where I was like, yes, it did used to be better because the, I remember when I was a kid for Ticketmaster, you had to go to certain locations for our tickets for fucking SummerSlam in 1996. We had to go to like a record store because only certain places sold them. That Oasis Nebworth documentary does a great job of detailing that, about how different it was. Now you just fucking get on your phone. There's no fun. There's no chase to it. So, uh, <laughs> 
Why I, I, did he run out of a budget at this point in that he had to reuse slow ride? My last note is, oh, God, it's slow ride again. <laughs> <laughs> Next to a note that said, by today's standards, this film is problematic. Uh, <laughs> well, do you think that getting caught up in the just the excitement of reliving his his high school days, Linklater kind of missed the point that he was making a movie that heavily endorsed underage drinking and drug use over healthy activities like sports. Because that's basically the climax of the movie. <laughs> the Oscar clip is Jason London telling his coach, if I want to drink, I'm going to drink. If I want to do drugs, I'm going to do drugs. And I might play sports, but that's not the most important uh, thing in my life right now. A generation of burnouts can be attributed to one uh, Dick Linklater. Yeah, I think in the end, I again, I I couldn't begin to understand the genius of Richard Linklater. <clears throat> but um, I think in the end, he is trying to make this point about because, you know, the coach pulls up and he's like, you've been hanging out with these, you know, these losers all night. And he's like, you don't even know them. And I think that scene in, on the, the football field where he you know, has the, the am I living the, the most I can while I'm here? Like, I think Linklater probably wanted us to be like, enjoy the moment that you have. And, and yeah, we, we, you know, terrorized a bunch of younger kids and smashed mailboxes and stuff like that. But like, I agree. Like it just, it falls flat because the story was so jumbled, but I, yeah, I think he was trying to make something like prolific about the people that you're around. And maybe that's why he didn't have like a primary character. It's, it's more about the yeah, he ensemble. Was, he was uh, 30 years old and getting a big budget or uh, relatively speaking, a big budget movie. And I think it was I think this is a great example of someone who just made this passion project with absolutely no filter to speak of. And that uh, leads some questions there. Uh, to close here, before we go to real talk, I do want to call out here this scene because I don't know when it'll come back up. This closing scene, uh, I don't know if you really notice here, um, the dynamic in the last act of the movie really switches to where Pickford is kind of pushed out of the, the picture and Wooderson basically replaces him as like the the sidekick or what, not the sidekick, but part of the, the, the core group with Rory Cochran and Jason London. You know what I'm saying? Right. And... Uh, the reason for that was because things were so volatile between Sean Andrews and Jason London. Uh, they did not get along during the, the filming of it. At one point, it's reported that Richard Linklater had to break up a shoot fight between them. Uh, and, and he changed the ending just to appease because Jason London was the lead in it. Uh, he changed the ending and the subsequent scenes for it with Wooderson, you know, being at the football field and him being the one driving just so they didn't have to deal with the the volatility and contention on screen. Um, Men. This note here says it also explains their almost total lack of dialogue between characters. <laughs> so it was not all the fun and games that it seemed to be on the set of Dazed and Confused. There was some real hazing. There was. And I think it's fitting too, since we're talking about McConaughey uh, and just, it fits in line with some of our critiques and uh, comments. Although Wooderson is the creepy graduate who still hangs out with high school students. Matthew McConaughey was younger than several of the cast members playing teenagers, oh in <laughs> including <laughs> Sasha Jensen, Joey Lauren Adams and Parker Posey, uh, Joey Lauren Adams and Parker Posey, both gorgeous women. But like for me to accept that they're 17 in this, I was like, come on dog. My first note is just how long this high school lasts. In the 70s. <laughs> They're in 19th grade. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, we have dove in to the beast that is Dazed and Confused. We have covered what plot there was to it, and we have given it the contrarian treatment. Uh, in part two, we're going to move on to our real feelings and also some uh, local trivia and some of um, our guest Lillian's experience with uh, even some of the the scenes and locations in this. So, uh, Julio, I think it's time we move it on to real talk. Let's go to real talk. Fairly uneventful, huh? Which one of you had the theory about how President Ford's old football head injuries is affecting the economy? Did you know Ford was on the Warren Commission? Who cares? He's out of there this fall. Look, we need some alcohol. That's a thought. (laughs) 